Well, good morning, Anthem Church. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to Matthew chapter 5. So we are going to continue our summer series, which is the Sermon on the Mount. My name is Stan Hayek, one of the pastors here on staff. And so today's talk, uh, as we study God's Word, the the main point that is going to jump out from the text is that behavior flows from identity. When you understand who you are, then you'll understand what to do. And so uh, identity is essential. And so as you guys are opening up there to Matthew chapter 5, I want to tell you a little bit uh, of a story about identity and purpose being incredibly important. So uh, there was Mother's Day. We just celebrated that. The story goes there was a there was a young man who wanted to get his mom something really special for Mother's Day. And especially his mom was a recent widower. And so he goes to the pet store. He said, man, I'm going to find some sort of companion, something that my mom would just really love, right? And you go to the pet store, they got all kinds of kinds of everything there. But as the guy's young man's walking around, he comes across this parrot. Now, this parrot is amazing. Somebody who taught this parrot to, like, speak and just carry on conversation, knew over 4,000 words, could say hello in five different languages. And this young man sees this parrot, and he's like, that. I got to get this parrot for my mom. And so parrot like that does not come cheap, but he's like, it's my mom. She's worth it. And so he purchases the parrot and gives it to his mother. And as moms are just incredibly appreciative and grateful for this great gift. Well, the young man calls back a few days later and he asks his mom, he says, mom, how was the bird? And she said, delicious. She ate it, if you're wondering how that story, yeah. So, no, like that's not its intended purpose. That's not what it was meant for. It was not meant to be a delicious meal. It was meant to be a companion. And when you fail to understand the intended purpose, well, you can see kind of what happens. And so I don't want us to fail to understand our identity, what God has created us for. And from that, then we can know what it is that we're to do. And so we're in Matthew chapter 5. Four verses, and starting in verse 13, it says this. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to pray as we get started here. God, we do just pray that you would engage our hearts, that you would help us understand who we are and what it is that you would have us do. And so pray for this time, Lord. We ask that as we've set apart this time to meet with you, that you would meet with us and transform us by your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So he starts there in verse 13. He says, you are salt. Now you have to understand, again, the context. This is uh, what's going on at this time. Salt is an essential mineral for life. We need salt to survive. Animals certainly need salt to survive. Uh, any good like deer hunter knows this. 
deer hunter, for those that you don't know, if you put a salt block out in the field, the deer will find it. And when the salt block is gone, they will continue to like eat the dirt just to get the trace minerals of salt. And where you had a salt block, you will have a hole in the ground because they so need that mineral. The, the, the length that animals will go to get this. I was watching uh, on like a National Geographic thing where these mountain goats were scaling this, this big dam because the, the water was seeping through and in it had salt. And these things are like this cliff. It, it looked like it was straight up and down. But these goats are going up there just to get a lick of this because without it, their bodies would start to, to fail. So uh, apart from things, so, apart from salt, things will die. And apart from salt, dead things will decay. Meaning if that deer comes in and you shoot it, and then you wanted to preserve the meat, you're going to need some salt for that. And we kind of forget this because we're like, well, you just put it in the refrigerator. That's what you do with meat. And then you smell it after a few days. Smells all right. Fry it up, okay? We've forgotten because not only does salt is it essential for life, it is essential for preserving things. And I'm studying up on this, not only for the message, but studying up because this next weekend, uh, going back to the farm in Iowa to butcher some pigs, taking a vacation day on Friday. I don't know how you spend your vacation days. That sounds like a good time for me, right? And so going to butcher these pigs. My buddy called me up. He's like, I got some. Come get them. Yes, I'll be there. And uh, one of the guys I'm going to bring along with me in that process is, is Matt Dennings, who's on staff. He spent some time out in California. Some of y'all are laughing because, yeah, Matt is, he's a little Californian. And so I'm like, you need to know where your bacon comes from, and I'm going to show you. So studying up on this, and then with that, I was like watching some videos because I know how to butcher things, how I've done it, but it's probably not the right way to do it. And so I'm like, if I'm going to be teaching them, I probably should learn. So YouTube, and so I'm like getting caught up on YouTube on, on how to do these things. But we have learned how to like cure our own bacon, like the thick cut bacon, so good. And I was watching this guy who's like teaching and doing this with, with salt. This old boy from Kentucky who grew up clearly without refrigeration, he old timer. He was on this video talking about how he had cut a slab off of this ham that he had preserved with salt and fried it up seven years later. No refrigeration, just hanging out in his barn. He's like, yeah, that's what you do. Just cut off a slab seven years later. Now, he's from Kentucky, so some of that, you know, but like, but nonetheless, like, salt is an incredible preserving influence. And so he's saying, you are to be salt in a world that is dying and decaying. You're to be grounded, worked into it. Be salty. Saying that's what your identity ought to be. Meaning if you're, you've got kids in T-ball, be salty. Be the parent that engages the other parents, that has conversations. That doesn't just like, well, you know, I can't interact with people. No, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world, but in it. It's why we've named our college ministry the Salt Company. Because we understand they're on a secular campus, many of whom they go to class with do not know Jesus as their Savior. And so we want our students to be salt. And without fail, every so often, they're a well-meaning adult or a student's like, you know what, it's, it's a pretty dark place on campus. 
we need to just do kind of a group together on Friday night, or maybe as Christians, we can just play some games and just have some soda and just kind of hang out. It's like, we could do that. We're just going to have to rename our college ministry. Because we want to be salt. We want to engage our peers, our classmates. Again, not in the same activities they do, in not given to sin, but we want to be in the world, just not of it. And so to be salt, that's what he's commissioning them to be. This is your identity. And he goes on to say, you ought to be light. Light. And, and again, that's defined as, as Christ's light in us. We're not the source of light. In the same regards that you look at the moon, the moon is bright. You, you, have you heard of moonlight? Right? I think there's a number. I'm thinking of all the country songs just coming through like uh, pale moonlight. Oh, anyway, don't sing that song. I just thought the rest of the next verse. Um, but anyways, moonlight, uh, moon gives off light, but it's not, it didn't generate the light. It is just reflecting the sun's light. So it is with us. We don't generate the light in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus, his light within us, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're a new creation. Ephesians talks about that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And so God is the source of the light, and we're able to just reflect that. And he's saying, you are to be light. And again, uh, we at Anthem, we've said this when we were getting ready to, to start this church, that the vision that we would have is we want people to know God, because if you know him, we believe there's going to be a love for him, and out of that love is going to come obedience. And so it starts with knowing God and knowing who you are in him. But we sometimes want to jump to, like, obedience, and if we start there, it just becomes behavior modification, where you modify the behavior, but you're not talking about the relationship with God. Paul Washer, pastor, said, everyone wants to do something when we ought to just be something. Everybody wants to talk about what we need to do. He's like, you ought to be salt, be light. That is who you are. And if it becomes about do, 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 it's just straight up do, do. If you don't have kids, that, that's, that's poop, right? Like, Christianity is about what you do. It's about what has been done, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we, we're going to talk about doing those things, but the first thing you have to understand is, is that we just reflect. We, at first John would say, we just overflow with the love that God has shown us. We can love because he first loved us. We can be light because he's light to us. And so functionally, Jesus is saying, this is your identity, as he's preaching them. You are salt. You are light. Now, how does light shine? I think even in the text, you kind of get allusion to a couple different examples. And so light can shine corporately, perhaps the city on the hill reference. And so you think of a city, all these different house lights. And so light can shine corporately. What I mean by that is, is that the church can put off a light that is different than an individual. Corporately together, when somebody comes in here and they see multi-generation, multi-ethnic, just a diverse body of people, over and over again, testimony after testimony. We've seen, uh, I think we had a baptism last week. I think there might be another one coming up next week. We've seen over 60 people get baptized in the life of our church. And over and over again, the testimony goes something like this, many of them. I thought I was good with God, 
And then I got around God's people, and I realized I did not have the light of Jesus in me. And so there's something beautiful about a corporate expression, a lot of people from different walks coming together to worship one God. And remember, my first church experience like that, when I went off to college, I'm like, man, you got, you got all kinds of kinds in here. You got hey, those are tattoo people. There's my cowboys. Yep, I'm going over there. Like you just got all different kinds. And it's such a beautiful thing when God's people come together in that way. And so there's, there's a corporate witness that we can have together that is beautiful, that you can bring whomever you meet and bring them to Anthem Church, bring them to the body, and they're likely going to find somebody with similar kind of backgrounds and interests. And that's a beautiful thing. And when we all kind of work together to do things, like this bottle drive that we've got, man, we can really do more together corporately than we ever could individually. And so light can shine corporately, a city on a hill, but also this individual, perhaps the lamp reference, he said, you are light, and so individually we shine as well. And so uh, J.D. Greer in his book, Game by Losing, references this kind of observation that in the book of Acts, seemingly 39 out of 40 miracles are done outside the context of the local church, meaning that, that we can be light wherever we go, whatever kind of group of friends or workplace, or we can go and be light where we're at as individuals. And that's the desire is we want to equip people to send them out. But here's the thing. That requires like a level of like personal responsibility to let your light shine, to put it on a stamp, hide it under a bushel. No. No, we're going to let that thing shine. Did you get the reference on the kids' song there? Yeah. So you're going to let it shine. So what does that look like? And so at our connection group, we were doing a little bit of a, a we call it like a gospel role play. Connection groups, you should jump in one. They're awesome. But we wanted to make ours kind of interactive one night. And so people, they were coming, and we set up a role play like this, where we paired people up, and we did rock, paper, scissors. And you're like, whoever lost, okay, you get to be the one sharing Jesus. And the other person in the scenario, you are going to be a person that says this. And this is role play, okay? So think like, scene. Okay, so they're getting into character. Here's your character. You're going to be somebody that says, man, I feel so broken. I feel so distant. I just, I know I'm not right with God, and I feel like if I died tonight, it would not go well for me. I just want to know how to get right. If you're the person over here, what would you say to them? Again, this is not just in connection group. If you're like a salt leader, you're like, I interviewed and you did that same thing. Yeah, we like it, okay? It's good. And so, but I remember setting the scene and, and this is in my house, connection group, everybody's paired up. And I'm like, ready, share with them. And I kid you not, on the couch, I heard the, the, the individual look at that person, says, you know what you need? You need to come to church and talk to my pastor. That's what you need. I said, wait, time out. Like, no. No, what am I going to say? Just because I'm on a stage doesn't make my words any more or less true. What do you think I'm going to tell them? You tell them that. Don't make it my problem. They're your friend. Like you share with them. We have a, a personal responsibility to be light. Yes, corporately. And I don't want to minimize the corporate expression. It's beautiful and it's awesome. The bride of Christ. 
all the parts of the body working together. Amen. Yes, that's great. But the individual responsibility, not a sufficient answer to say, go talk to my pastor. Share the truth with them. And he's saying, you are these things. It is your identity. You are salt. You are light. Now, I got some illustrations today. And so I just want to clarify it. Some of you guys have seen this. It's probably going to be review. But I just wanted to, to use it. And hopefully it's helpful. I kind of threw this thing after first service, and so it might be a little broken. Um, so yeah, you kind of see it in the background there. So here's, here's the reality is... We live in a broken world. Let me help you out. If you turn on the news, if you saw the news yesterday, it's bad. If you turn it on today, still bad. Tomorrow, bad again, okay? So it's going to be bad news because we live in a broken uh, world with just brokenness all around. You understand what's kind of going on in our culture. And there's just so much division, so much hurt. So much anger, and not just only out there, but it also exists in us, this level of brokenness. And we, we try and find ways to, like, get away from the brokenness. And I'm telling you, by the way, time out. One of the beautiful things about what's going on here, it's not good, the, the division that's happening, but it is revealing something. We don't like it. It's not what we are intended to be. And so the, the fact that people are like, we, something needs to happen. It's a beautiful thing that I believe God has laid on our hearts. The problem is they think, well, so therefore we just got to elect a new person. That'll make it better. Or we got to do the, you know. Uh, and so all these ways to try and get out of brokenness. But without fail, we always just get kind of snapped right back into brokenness. It's never sufficient. The only way, truly, out of this broken state is to put our trust in Jesus. Jesus said, man, you're going to have trouble in this world, but if you trust me, you have life and life to the fullest, eternal life. And so the only way out of the brokenness is to truly trust Jesus, to say, God, forgive me for trying to find ways other than you. I trust you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to have a relationship with you. And if that's the case, if you're in Jesus, then we try and follow God's perfect plan. We go to God in, in prayer. We go to God through his word. We say, God, what do you want? Because I've tried it my way. I've tried to do what the world says, and it just doesn't work. Jesus, I trust you and ask you would reveal. And what God's going to reveal from his word is saying, go back out in this thing and tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through him. And so... Here's the thing, though. The context for what we're studying today, verses 13 through 16, if you look at the verse right before, what he's going to tell us, it, the Beatitudes, not just the verse before, verse 12, but the other verses before, he's saying, just because you trust Jesus doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you. Just because you accept Jesus doesn't mean that it's all going to be puppy dogs and rainbows. And I know there's some televangelists out there that will make a lot of money telling you that. And if you just give to their ministry, that God's going to bless you and it's never going to be hard. Y'all, that is not what Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross. He's saying, man, do not be surprised when the world hates you. It hated me. And you open the book of Acts and you see what it was for his followers. Man, they, they just, the oppression. And so 
it's going to happen. And he says in verse 12, the context for this, when he says, let your light shine, be salt, what did he say just before that? In verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying there's going to be a level of persecution. It's going to be hard. Just because you trust Jesus doesn't mean that it's not going to have challenges. But the promise there is that suffering offers a glorious opportunity to make God known. See, people are accustomed to happiness. People are accustomed to joy when things are good. But what about when they're bad? I just can only imagine in Scripture how just, just I don't know, is the word confounded, dumbfounded, that people were in the book of Acts when Paul is singing hymns while being in prison, chained, and he's just worshiping God. It's like, what is going on there? People are accustomed to be like people being happy and whistling a tune when things are going well. But what about when they're suffering and it's an opportunity to make God known in those times of trouble? 1 Peter 3, 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. He's going to say a few verses later, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, the hope that is in you. Rejoice and be glad. They persecuted the prophets, they're going to persecute you. And so he's saying, you need to bless in these times. You need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have. This needs to be overflowing from you. Now, the question is, is has anybody looked at your life lately? They said, man, you just have so much joy. Can you help me understand what the source of that? First Peter coaches you. He's like, I know this is going to happen. I just want you to be prepared, okay? That happened to you lately? It ought to, if we're doing this well, it ought to be one of those things where it's like, you're going to have to explain because it seems like your circumstances are terrible, but your attitude seems to not be affected by your circumstances. Right, because it's rooted in Jesus. And so we ought to be prepared to give a hope. See, anger, frustration, bitterness, those would be natural responses, but they're not salty ones. They're not light so I get it, but because our hope is in God, not in circumstances, we ought to live a little bit different. Martin Luther, he's, as Todd would say, an old dead guy who did a lot for the Christian faith, reformed it. When it was all about do, 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 he said, this is do, do. We need to get back to relationship and just broke away from at that time the only church that existed and said, no, we're going to reform and we're going to make this about relationship because that's what God intended. And so we reformed. And so incredible how God used him. But he faced some opposition. And, and this is from Spurgeon's kind of expositions. I'd say this about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a very cheerful man as a rule, but he had terrible fits of depression. He was at one time so depressed that his friends recommended him to go away for a change of air to see if he could get relief. He went away, but he came home as miserable as ever. And when he went into the sitting room, his wife, Kate, Catherine Monbora, was sitting there dressed in black and her children round about her all in black. Oh, oh said Luther, who is dead? Why, she said, doctor, have you not 
heard that God is dead. My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust to. Then he burst into a hearty laugh and said, Kate, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead. I will do so no more. Go and take off thy black. If God be alive, why are we discouraged? If we have a God to look to, why are we cast down? Let us rejoice and be glad. For God will do all that he has promised for this reason. Because we have a reward who is Jesus. We don't need to murmur. We don't need to grumble. We don't need to do vengeance. We need to rejoice and be glad, as verse 12 says. And I'm telling you, coming through a season where I can resonate with, with Martin Luther, where I have not modeled this hopefulness, this joyfulness in my own home. And again, what I'm saying is my behavior has not matched my identity. Those things ought to be true, but even understanding that there's a disconnect. And it's possible because even in our text we see it's possible for light to be hidden or for salt to be non-salty salt. And so I feel like that was a, a better description of me recently where you looked apart, but it wasn't fitting to have kind of like this attitude, given the identity. My one was not an attitude of gratitude, but rather it was pessimism. And it was based, my attitude was informed based on my circumstances, not my identity. I said, these circumstances are tough, it's hard, and so therefore I'm just going to be sad. And I'm thankful for God's mercy to allow me to, to get to teach this text and and the truth is that I want you to understand that I needed to preach to myself is that that attitude, that behavior comes from identity, not circumstances. I had to stop and think, man, who's God? Who does he say that I am? Is his love for me conditional? Absolutely not. Is the cross sufficient? Certainly. Is there power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Behavior has to flow from identity, not circumstances. Rooted in truth, not in feelings. You are salt, he says. You are light. Know who you are, then you'll know what to do. And what does he say? So we're going to get to the do part here. Given our identity first, and from our identity, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, if you're rooted in your identity, he's saying these good works are going to be a byproduct of that as you reflect. And so uh, it reminds me of John 15. If a man remains in me and high in him, he will bear much fruit. It's this illustration of like vine and branches. Whoa, this thing's big. Let's not electrocute myself. Uh, okay. This is a branch. Uh, it is dead. I cut it down from a tree. It, it was hardly a tree. It was like a, a bushy tree that overtook an entire backyard at one point. I was like, you gots to go. So I cut it out, and uh, I piled it up. I think it was last fall. This thing is, is fairly brittle. Uh, I don't know if you can tell that. It is dead. You imagine, like, cutting this thing off the tree, like throwing it off in the side of the yard, and then coming back the next week and stand, like seeing it staying straight up, full leaves with fruit on it, it doesn't happen, right? You'd be like, that tree is possessed. Uh, away from me. No, that doesn't, it doesn't happen. Like if you cut it off from the vine, you cut it off from the trunk, it dies. That's just, that's a biblical principle, but it's also uh, very true, as you can see. 
And so apart from Jesus, you say in John 15, you can't do anything. This thing's identity as a branch supposed to be attached. It's not. But here's the thing. If it remains, and when it says remains, the abides, that's an active thing to remain in the Lord. It'd be kind of like, stay right here on the treadmill as it's turned on. It's like, okay, it's an active thing. Or like in a river, you know, that's kind of rushing with water. It's like, stay right here in the river. It's like, you can be swimming just to stay in the same spot. So actively remaining. He's saying, if you do that, if you remain in me, you wear, will bear fruit. It's just a given. It's a byproduct. But if you don't remain, you won't. And so how do you remain? How do you actively stay remaining? It's through things like prayer, through studying God's word, through fellowship with his people. Be good tree, okay? Uh, those things, that's how you remain. That is how you stay in the Lord. But here's why I want to belabor this is because I feel like we, we encounter people like this. And we so value fruit, which is a part of this thing, that we fail to ask the question, like, do you know God? Do you know God? Is there a love for him? Then we can talk about the obedience, but we get duped into the, like, the obedience. And, and so instead of rooting them in Jesus, we get duped in and be like, well, I know the problem. You shouldn't be sleeping with that person. They're not, you're not married to them. Let's take care of that. Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's, there we go. Work it. It's better now. And so we get to modifying behavior. And we say, oh, that, that didn't work. You, you, should, uh, you should give, like serve somewhere. Use your time, talents, your treasures. That's what Christians do. Yay! And so it is. And we see that, like parenting. It's like, look at, I think, I think we have an apple tree. Anybody want to buy it? We can modify behavior and we can see these things and we're like, look at fruit. In doing so, in doing so, we modify the behavior, but we damn the soul. Even if you could modify the behavior and get the appearance of fruit, this thing's still going to hell because it's apart from Jesus. There is no other way. This does not earn us right standing with God. Right standing comes from being in Jesus. And because we're in Jesus, this becomes a byproduct, the fruit. Even if you could modify the behavior to see fruit, you'd still be damning the soul. And so, man... It's right to want to see fruit. But if we would just stay connected, it would be the byproduct. But he's going to say, this is a possibility. Because a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, these works, the fruit, it's important, not in saving, but it's important evidence of those that are truly saved. So we should see fruit as a byproduct of remaining. And so I'm going to take down my illustration so you all can see me. But we should see good works, he says. 
Ephesians is going up on the screen. We should see good works. What kind of good works? The kind that God in Christ Jesus has prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. Now, we're not saved by works, but works are important. So much so that God has set them up for us specifically, prepared for you, for me, that we should walk in them. Because of our identity, we can get to work. And so what good works has God prepared for you to do? I don't know, but I know he's specifically set them forth, given your talents, your desires, your gifts. God has prepared good works, which is such a, a gift. The fact that God would allow us to be a part of the work, period, and that he would be so thoughtful and so gracious as to have work lined up for us that would really be to our joy to walk in. I'm thinking of people that have seen the opportunity with COVID to engage their neighbors, getting to see one of our members recently. They were having some construction workers in their house, trusting that God prepared good works in advance. This individual just got to share Jesus with a construction worker. Leaves them a little Bible track, comes back, and the worker's like, yeah, I trust Jesus now. Can I get some more of these? Because I have some family that don't know Jesus, and I want them to know Jesus too. Trusting. There's young couples that are looking to, to foster care, adopt. There's a couple that were out on their date night on Friday, but they're saying, we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. That's our identity. And byproduct of that is God's going to have stuff for us. They're on their date. And they see a, a young lady in distress. And, and, and so they help her out and get to share Jesus with her. It's like, man, God has prepared things. Are we looking up and able to see and walk in those things? He says in verse 16, he said, Let your light shine before others in the way that they would see your good works. And who gets the glory? Your Father, who is in heaven, he says. Our good works are not to obtain favor with God. No, our good works just point people to God. They're to God's glory and to our joy when we do those things. In the same sense, I love that, that when we walk in disobedience, it's to our agony. <laughs> and that God doesn't just often leave us there and let us be given to that, but there's a level of conviction. And the same flip of that is it's to our joy to see what God would have for us and to walk in this. But again, this flows first from identity of who we are. Then we can figure out what to do. And so I want to kind of close with this true story. When I first started on staff at a church in Ames, Iowa, uh, one of the leaders was leading out in the church, and they were adopting uh, a couple children from Africa into their family, which by God's grace, how that story continues, within a few years, by the time we're leaving there to where God was calling us next, there's, I think, over 100 children that were adopted into to families within the life of that one church. And it started with this guy saying, and they'd already raised a whole flock of children on their own biologically, but they brought in these two Little boys from, from Africa, I think they're about a year and a half old and about three years old, and brought them 
into their home. Now, although these children were young, their experience in the orphanage was quite traumatic. In fact, remember him telling stories when these kids were first there, that when it came to mealtime, that they would just gorge themselves on food, not knowing if they would get another meal. And not only that, these little kids, year and a half old and three years old, were hiding food in their pockets and in their room, not knowing if there would be another meal. I mean, that was the kind of scars that existed. They were living in a spot of scarcity, looking out for themselves, just trying to survive, and, and who could blame them? given their experience. But in realizing that they have a a mom and dad who love them, who've adopted them, and who can richly provide for them like they had not experienced, these young guys started to realize like, wow, you have one meal, and a few hours later, there's another one. And there was a pattern that started to be established. And they're like, man, I think, I think my family is good. Who loves to give good things? And Cute story, first service didn't get this, you get bonus features. I remember dad telling, like, they took their kids, and he, he was taking the, the boys out, and they were taking them the first time golfing, and he didn't know, they thought maybe ride around the cart would be fun, but he got them a candy bar from the, the like, golf shop or whatever. And, like, the kid just ate the whole candy bar and couldn't speak English yet, but knew the sign for more, and he just comes running out. He's like, more of that. Whatever that was, I want more of that, all right? And so, again, now these guys, they're practically grown, but they have a new last name, a new identity because they've been adopted. And what I want for us, Anthem, to understand is we can't forget who's adopted us, who's on the throne, our Heavenly Father, This is authoritative teaching. Jesus said, you are salt. You are light. It's like, who are you to tell me? How about the one that knit you together in your mother's womb? That's who's given you this identity. The one who numbered the hairs on your head. Yeah, I know you, and I'm telling you what you are. You are salt. You are light. That is to be your identity. The one who bought us back from eternal damnation. By his blood. Anthem, you need not live like an orphan. We've been adopted. And he'll provide not only our daily bread, but Jesus said, I am, I am the bread of life. I am living water. Not only you won't hunger or thirst, but you'll be satisfied for eternity if your trust is in me. That is who we have in Jesus. And so we need not live in a spot of scarcity, but in a place of plenty because of what he has done and joyfully telling others the treasure that we have found in Jesus. That is how identity, identity determines our behavior. And if you don't like the behavior, my thing is, do you know your identity? Is it in the Lord? I think we want to say, well, I don't, it's not doing things. And so it's like, yeah, are you remaining with him? If you don't like the fruit of your life, it's easy to want to just modify the behavior. And I'm saying you got to go back to the source. It's like, have you been in God's word? Have you been with God's people? Have you been in prayer? 
no, I just kind of want to be disconnected and somehow still bear fruit. It doesn't work like that. And so just want to, man, first thing is having a relationship. But if you do claim the name of Jesus, I do think there's times, like myself, coming through a season where we can forget what it is that we have in the Lord. And I would just want to push us back to that as we take communion. And for most of us, this is the first time we've taken communion since early March. And so it's looking a little different. There's the little cups prepackaged under your, your chair. But as the band comes up, as we take communion today, there's a little wafer. It's under one uh, tab. I was just informed they're not gluten-free. Uh, but they, um, there's the, the bread, and then there's, of course, the juice. And again, this signifies Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. And as we take communion, I would just invite you to, if there's somebody that you came with, you guys can still circle up and just pray and remember. Because, Christian, we are ought to get to work. There's things that we need to go from here and to live out our identity as salt and light. But we need not forget our ability to do that, our ability to be light comes from Jesus. Our ability to, to do what he's calling us to, we can't forget where the source is. And so as you take communion, I just would invite you to just prayerfully acknowledge your dependence upon the Lord. And so as the band gets ready to start playing, I'll just pray over us. And then when you're ready, you can take communion, pray together with those in your row if you'd like, and then stand and worship. And so I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, we do. Jesus, we thank you that you have, by your blood, purchased us back from damnation. We acknowledge that we deserve the punishment you endured and so much more. But by your wounds, we have been healed. And by your resurrection, we have hope in eternity. And so, we just with great joy in our hearts want to celebrate communion this morning, remembering what was accomplished by your blood being shed, by your body being broken, that through your death and resurrection, we can be redeemed. And so God, would you please just help us Embrace that identity this morning. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to move our behavior to match that which is fitting of our identity as adopted children. Just pray that in the name of our Savior. Amen. Again, the, when you're ready, uh, you can take communion and then stand and worship.